announcement tonight at 6 p.m. here at the church we will have eighth day celebration worship only tonight at 6 p.m. here uh, tonight it is celebration of the eighth day of tabernacles the feast 
And of course, as you see around, we still have the Lulofs and the Citrons around in our chairs. Feel free to worship with those this morning uh, as we praise the Lord and thank Him for all the harvest of uh, this last year. Um, on the, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a page number. Uh, you could be turning to 1390 in the church Bible, 1 Peter. Starting in verse 3 today, page 1390 toward the end there, the church Bible. Uh, real quick, we're going to continue to pray for Kylie and her parents, Rick and Amanda. I think they're trying to get the sleeping thing a little more organized, uh, which we'll pray that the Lord will help work that out. We're going to remember Lee Martin as he got surgery coming up early November. Raul Jr. as he goes through the treatments. And Martin out west. We'll continue to pray for Placencia family there in all those places. Uh, I have none other to mention than those this morning. Let's read our scripture this morning. We're going 3 through 7 of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that in the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you so much for all the fruit and answered prayers we had to be thankful for as we come to you on this celebration of tabernacles. Our Lord, as we come before you, we're humbled to look back over the past few months and year to see what you've done, not only in our lives, but those around us, those that we know, those in our family that we continue to pray for. And we lift up these as well today, Lord. Uh, we pray you continue to work uh, as I didn't even mention right now, little Kylie, there's only one heart monitor on that baby. And wow, Jesus, thank you for the amazing miracles you have worked out in her little body. We pray you continue to complete that work in her. And I pray for Rick and Amanda as they get her settled in at home. Uh, Lord, you'll just work all that out and bless them uh, as they go forth. And Jesus, we continue to lift up uh, Raul Jr., uh, Lee Martin and Martin Placencia. Father, we just know these are all difficult situations, but no match for you and your grace and your power. So, Lord, we just continue to lift them up to you, uh, that you will work in each situation, that above all, that you will bring people to salvation, that even in these difficult times, through these trials that we read about, even this morning in our scripture, let God be glorified and lifted up through these trials. We bless you today. We thank you for what this uh, feast that we are coming to an end this week means and what a celebration it will be when you fulfill and bring that to completion in your perfect time. We just uh, praise you for all these things and what you've taught us about your feast. And I pray, God, that we continue to be open-minded and we be humble before you as we come to learn today and hear your word proclaimed. 
change in our hearts, Lord, what needs to be changed. Help us to go forth as people who would just push forth you and your glory to the world around us. We just bless you today. We pray and beg your presence be here and that you bless, Lord, this place and that you change each life here in a way that only you can. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.
confusion fades Just a word And suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak And freedom reigns There is hope And every single word you say
is a noise There is a sound There is a cry from the depths of our hearts Heaven come down Will not be silenced Can't be contained the cry of a people, a priesthood, a nation Called by your name Out of the darkness, redeemed from the night Bathed in his glory, reflecting his light Oh, what a beautiful From every tribe, clothed with his righteousness, fully alive, hear the song of the beautiful bride. What a mystery! How great the love calls to the broken, the orphan, the chosen.
Good morning. It is awesome to be with y'all today. And today is a great day that we, we celebrate the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is also it is also kind of sad because we move out of this feast season for several months while we while we wait for Passover. Um I pray that this word would have fruit in us exactly as Rebecca prayed that we would anticipate Jesus' return in this feast and that we would see what he desires to do in each of us today. So we're going to begin in Leviticus 23. If you would turn there with me on page 140. Leviticus 23, page 140. So the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles is really one of the most, I think, kind of mysterious and unique of the feast days. Um, we, we studied last week about the Feast of Tabernacles and that it says that for seven days the Israelites were to dwell in booze, to dwell in Sukkah, to remember that the Lord had caused this to be for them, had caused them to have a protective covering and a shelter and to remember how he provided for them for these 40 years and then brought them into the promised land. And then we read that there is to be a celebration on this, this eighth day. So let's read together in 23. We'll read verses 33 through 39. When the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the 15th month of the seventh day, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. 
On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly. And you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, and a sacrifice offering, and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all of your vows, and besides your free will offerings which I will give, excuse me, which you give to the Lord, also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, When you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. So the Lord is is telling them something very specific about what they're to do on these first seven days. But then makes it clear that they are to keep an eighth day, as verse 36 tells us, a holy convocation with an offering a sacred assembly with no work. And then in verse 39, that they're to keep the feast for seven days, but the eighth day is to have a Sabbath rest. So today we are in the midst of the seventh day of the feast. And tonight at sundown, the eighth and final day begins. So tonight we will keep this eighth day together. We'll gather together for a sacred assembly, for a convocation, and we'll worship the Lord, and we will thank the Lord and be grateful for all that he has done and provided for us. But I think there is more than meets our eye to what was significant about this eighth day to the Israelites. See, we read this with 21st century ears, with American ears, with Western ears, with ears that have not been dwelling in Sukkah for seven days, but they would have heard this eighth day differently. So turn with me next to John chapter 7 in the church's Bible, page 1231. John chapter 7, page In John chapter 7, we'll read just the first part of verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. So I want to start by focusing on this because John focuses and says that on the last day, the great day. From the beginning of the Lord's commandment in Leviticus, this feast would begin would would continue to be understood in new ways that God would pour out. And the eighth day would become known as the last day or the great day of the feast. The eighth day is, is really like, if you're into music, like a crescendo and a forte at the same time. Things have become louder and louder and faster and faster. And and the understanding that we're going to study in the Old Testament is building to this moment when Jesus will pour out a fresh understanding for his people. 
The eighth day is a fulfillment of scripture and prophecy that God communicated over years and years to his people. And it contains meaning upon meaning upon meaning where God would emphasize several things for us. That his desire is to call us and to deliver us, to provide for us, to save us, and to fill us. See, just like us, as as we celebrate the feast each year, the Lord gives new understanding. I believe the Lord gave new understanding to the Israelites. And each year as they came and celebrated, each year as they were at different points in their lives, God would communicate new things, but his communication was the same. From start to finish, to call and deliver and to provide, to save and to fill his people. On Friday night after church, uh, Rebecca and I went home and we were watching this show. We were watching this show with Amy as well called Blue Bloods. And it's not important whether you've seen the show or not. But there's this, this big emphasis on this episode where there's a father who is the police commissioner. And he is very by the book. And he is put in this situation where he is going to have to do something that some are going to like and others are going to prefer. And, and if, he, if he chooses this one way, he'll, he'll honor his code as police commissioner, but he will um, disappoint his daughter. And on the other hand, if he honors his daughter and he protects his daughter, it will dishonor his code as the police commissioner. And really, there are people on both sides of things that want him to pull one way or another. And there's this one great line that a character says about this father. He says, he always does things by the book. So why does this particular situation surprise you? But then he says, he always has a motive and has an angle. This is who our God is. He is by his book, his ways, and his truth. And throughout the scripture, God is doing things that may offend or surprise or not be what we would prefer, but God always has an angle and a motivation in what he's doing. And that motivation is equally for his word, his truth, his holiness, and his glory. But it's also to bring us into his purpose. It's truly why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we know all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And I believe that on this eighth day, as we'll learn, that when Jesus comes into the temple courts and he calls out, he is doing just this. He is true to his word to his Father's commandments and his truth, but he is trying to draw people to himself for his purpose. So let's talk about some of the things that build to this understanding of the eighth day. We understand that seven represents completion and perfection and God's purpose. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, but on the seventh day, 
God rested from creation. And he set this day apart because it was complete. God appointed seven feasts for us to celebrate as a picture that these feasts would accomplish God's perfect plan. So we can't understand eight until we understand seven. Seven is the accomplishment of God's purpose. So eight is then some. Eight is really like a bonus to what God is doing. All three fall feasts that we've been studying on and that we've been celebrating fall in the seventh month on God's calendar. So that in and of itself is significant that these feasts, when Jesus returns, fall in the seventh month. It's why we read the scripture again and again that on the seventh month, on the 15th day, right? Because this in and of itself is communicating that it's happening according to God's completion. In this passage of Leviticus 23 that we've just read, um, in verses 33 through 43, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, the seventh, or seven, occurs eight times. Not just seven, but eight times. Right, it's communicated again and again and again to give this understanding of the importance of the seventh, for one, but the importance of eight. So why the eighth then? Right? Why, why couldn't we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for six days and then on seven have a holy convocation? Right? That would not communicate this completeness, this fulfillment, this perfection of God's plan the same, would it? The Lord is showing us something here that this feast shows completion. And I thought of this word bonus because that's what this means. This is a, a bonus for us that God is accomplishing his end and then some. In the Old Testament, God uses the eighth day to mean a new beginning. So I want to look at several, several passages that show us this. Turn with me first to Leviticus chapter 8 on page 120. Leviticus chapter 8, page 120. Leviticus is, is really a book that that talks about the priesthood and what they were called to do and how they were called to lead the people of Israel in honoring and worshiping God. And we read some of this a few weeks ago when we studied about the Day of Atonement, that when Aaron and his sons were ordained as priests, the Lord tells them that they were to separate themselves for seven days. For seven days. And during that time, they were commanded not to go near the doorway of the tent of meeting. So read with me in chapter 8, we'll read verses 33 through 9-1. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration have ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you as he has done this day, 
so the Lord has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. We're going to skip down now to verse 22 of chapter 9 and read through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So what we read is that the Lord commanded Aaron and his sons to be set apart for seven days. It doesn't end there. We're told that on the eighth day, they were able to enter into this priestly service, offer these sacrifices and offerings before the Lord, so that the Lord's presence would be poured out on the Israelites, right? We can't have this eighth day without seeing what takes place in the first seven. Turn next with me back to Genesis chapter 17 on page 16. Genesis 17, page 16. Here in Genesis, the Lord is talking to Abram, to future Abraham, and he tells him that he and his descendants must be circumcised to have a sign of the covenant that he has with them. Let's read together just verse 10 of chapter 17. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Let's continue reading. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you must be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner, he who is not your descendant. So all that were dwelling in Israel, seven days, things were one way. But on the eighth day, they were called to be circumcised and set apart to be in covenant with the Lord. In the New Testament, we read how Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul all were circumcised according to the eighth day. Scripture makes that clear to us that it wasn't on the sixth day or the seventh day or the ninth day, but on the eighth day. Turn next to Leviticus 14 over on page 127, Leviticus 14, page 127. Leviticus 14 is a very full chapter that describes 
how after one has been healed from leprosy, after one has been healed from this great illness, the, the plan for purification, the plan for cleansing. And it's a long chapter that describes all that is to be done, but I want us to focus in here in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 14. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. And that he shall come into the camp and stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair off his head, and his beard and his eyebrows, and his hair shall be shave off. His hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. Verse 10, and on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb, the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean, and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. See, this, this person that's being described with leprosy is well. They no longer have leprosy. But just no longer having leprosy doesn't mean they are clean. The Lord says, for seven days they are to be set apart. And on the seventh day, this one who had leprosy, who no longer has it, is to shave off their hair. Right? There's a picture of, uh, of hygiene here. Shave off their, their eyebrows, their beard, their hair. And then they are to bathe. Then they're to come before the priest on the eighth day with their sacrifice. And the priest will declare them clean. Final place we'll look at is in Second Chronicles 7, page 500. Second Chronicles 7, page 500. So I'll tell you that in 1 Kings, um, we would read that the temple was completed in the seventh month. So the Lord allowed Solomon to build this wonderful temple that, that took many years to construct. And the temple was completed in, excuse me, I said the seventh month. It was completed in the eighth month. So instead of dedicating the temple and opening up for worship, Solomon says we will wait until the next year so that we can dedicate it on the seventh month during the Feast of Tabernacles on the eighth day. Let's read here in verses 7 and 8. Excuse me, 8 and 9. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. At that time Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. So 
this is communicating something incredible here. You imagine being Solomon and spending all these years and having cedar come from Lebanon and gold from around the world and all of the things that the Lord commanded to work and prepare and complete this temple. And it happens to be the eighth month when it was completed. And then waiting 11 months because Solomon understood what it meant to have the Lord's blessing in this seventh month and then celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days so on the eighth day it could be consecrated and set apart. So in all of these understandings, the ordination of priests, of circumcision, of physical cleansing, and the dedication of the temple, the effect of the eighth day collectively intensifies, doesn't it? I mean, these are significant places that are crucial to who God's people are. The seven days are for preparation, are for cleansing, sanctification that lead to a new beginning on the eighth day. So the Feast of Tabernacles has this same understanding. The eighth day of the feast cannot be independent from the first seven, right? We don't just come in here and go, eighth day sounds great if we've not been dwelling in these booths and understanding who it is that we celebrate, who it is that offers a new beginning. Nor can this eighth day be blurred from distinction. See, some want to make it a completely different feast and say, well, we've got this seven-day feast and then we're kind of done with tabernacles. Now we have this eighth day. But we can't do that. They are, they are cemented together in Leviticus. They're cemented together in the history of the Israelites that the eighth day has no meaning without the first seven. After seven days of dwelling in booze and celebrating God's provision, the eighth day is possible. So now let's shift gears to Jesus' keeping of this feast in John chapter 7. Let's turn back there. John chapter 7 on page 1231. During the centuries of celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, several hundred years when Jesus is on earth, a drink offering ceremony became part of the feast, and it was called the water drawing celebration. It took place at this place called the Pool of Siloam. And this is really important we understand this because all of these things are pooling together with meaning that those who would be participating in this feast would understand. The Pool of Siloam has a, a great history and is important to the Israelites, and to Jerusalem. The Pool of Siloam was the only fresh water source in the city of Jerusalem. So we've got fresh water here and everywhere and at home, and we're, we're drinking water that has come from fresh springs or fresh wells. But the Pool of Siloam was the only fresh water source in Jerusalem. It had been built by a king named Hezekiah back in the 8th century, and it was to provide the city of Jerusalem, obviously, fresh water, but it was more than that. It was security, and it was protection. 
See, countries could be attacked by enemies on all sides. I say countries, cities and temples and um, palaces would be attacked by all sides from enemies. And they could only last so long if they didn't have a water source, right? Their animals would begin to die. They wouldn't have water to drink. Their food would decay as a result of not being uh, taken care of. And so the cities that were fortified and had a water source could outlast their enemy. So this was a picture of, of, yes, them being a great nation and having their own water, but more than that, it was for protection and security. This this, um, pool of Siloam didn't just appear there. Hezekiah commissioned this great, um, this great feat of engineering. They drilled and cut through 2,000 feet of stone and rock to go back to another famous spring, the spring of Gihon. So this spring of Gihon would feed into Jerusalem, into what was called the pool of Siloam. And it was about 50 feet wide and 20, 20 feet, excuse me, 50 feet long and 20 feet wide and 20 feet deep. And it would be filled and refreshed twice a day. So that is a lot of water, isn't it? There's a lot of water that twice a day would be refreshed, that it would be emptied out by use. People drinking, people bathing, people being cleansed. So this pool was critical to the safety of Jerusalem, not just for their safety against enemies, but for their sustenance as a people. And the pool of Siloam became even more important and was known in Jesus' day for a few reasons. For one, in 1 Kings 1, we could read that Solomon was anointed by the water from this spring of Gihon. So the great Solomon who built this temple was anointed first by this water. It had a prophetic connection that was associated with the prophets. In Isaiah 44, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants. We we read this, pouring out of a spirit, but, but they would have imagined the single water source they had. They would imagine this holy place really where people came to eat and drink and be cleansed and be given life. And they imagined the pool of Siloam as the place where God's spirit would be poured out. And then in John 9, we read that Jesus meets meets this this blind man. And he tells him, Jesus puts clay in his eyes and he tells them next to be cleansed. Go to the pool of Siloam and wipe out your eyes and you will be healed. So this pool was known for all of these things. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days, the priest would have a ceremony and he would go down to the pool of Siloam from Jerusalem. He would dip this gold pitcher in the water. He would then go back to the temple and he would pour out this water as a drink offering over the altar. And also during this ceremony, another priest would sound the shofar and everyone would follow. So there was really a procession of people that would go from Jerusalem down to the pool of Siloam. They would sound, um, they would sing hymns and they would recite scriptures like the Hiel from Psalms 
together. And it said that as the priest dipped the pitcher into the water, he would recite, recite from Isaiah 12, Therefore with joy you will dwell, excuse me, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So we read all these things, and independently they, they seem great, but collectively they, they are giving this image of who our God is. On the eighth day, there would be no pouring out of water. For seven days, like they were dwelling in booths, this water would be poured out. But on the eighth day, the priest would pray for future water for future providence from the Lord. And it's on this day, with these understandings in mind, that we, we read what happens with Jesus on the eighth day. So let's read it again now, now fully, this passage, in, in John chapter 7, 37 through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So on this day where the priests would be offering prayers for future water, Jesus is in the temple courts, just outside the temple, and he cries out, he shouts even, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Imagine the irony of what they would hear. In response to those praying for water, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This sounds really great, but it's really easier said than done because what Jesus is saying is that we must recognize our need. We must recognize our thirst, our lack in order to come to him. Because this was occurring on the last day when no water was being poured out, it makes Jesus' claim all the more significant. See, he's not competing with this water that was poured out the first seven days. He's distinguishing what he offers. He's saying, I am the water that you're looking for. I am the water that you're praying for. In this, Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah, the true water that this ceremony symbolizes. Then he says, he who believes in me as the scripture has said. Now he explains this metaphor of those coming to him and drinking because he is the Messiah. So to come to him is to put their faith in him, to trust in him, to rely on him for salvation. Right, this water in the pool of Siloam was a salvation of sorts to the Israelites. There were those that would die in the wilderness, in the desert without water, and so this pool represented life. And Jesus says to them, put your faith and trust in me instead. It also means that they would have to release their preconceived ideas of who Jesus was. He was the Messiah the Father had called him to be, not the Messiah that they necessarily would want. 
Likewise, we have to come to Jesus as he is, not who we want him to be. Finally, Jesus says, out of his heart will flow living waters. This is such an amazing picture because some would say that that these springs were living water of sorts. Now, these springs were fresh water, but they were not living water. Living water was prophesied. Turn with me to Isaiah 55 on page 849. Isaiah 55 on page 849. Several of the prophets mention that that according to the Lord's return, there will be these living waters. We'll read just verse 1 of Isaiah 55, and Isaiah says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. This is the word for living waters. And come, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money or without price. Isaiah is telling the people of God that they don't need bring anything, but come to him alone who offers these living waters. Turn next to Zechariah 14 on page 1102. Zechariah 14, page 1102. Zechariah will read verse 8 and verse 9. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Final place we'll look at here for living water is in John 4, on page 1224. John chapter 4, page 1224. We'll read just verse 10. When Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus answered her and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who says it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is building on the day of tabernacles of these understandings. That living water is more than just the physical drink, but it is the Holy Spirit's presence. See, these things were prophesied about, these things were understood to mean that one day God's Spirit would be poured out in His people. So on the last day, on the eighth day, on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord Jesus stands in the midst of the temple area, and he pulls together all of these understandings and meanings of the feast to say, it's all about me. I am he 
who you are waiting for. I believe Jesus takes these understandings that have long been understood, long been celebrated, that are easy to chime into, right? It's easy to want to come to Jerusalem and build a sukkah and dwell in it and and go with the priest as they dip the water and they pour it out. And says to these people, do you mean it? Do you really want these things that you say you want so much? Because if you mean it, if you understand the eighth day, then I will give you abundance. See, while Jesus was speaking in these physical terms that they were no doubt familiar with, he's drawing him to the spiritual significance. Jesus was telling them that this life that they want, that they don't even fully understand, that he offers it to them. Today what the Lord is drawing us to is a new beginning. The eighth day was the result of the previous seven. See, all these things would have compounded for those seeing and hearing these words. I don't know that as they listened to Jesus that all were clicking and and locking into place, but they understood the meaning of the things that he was sharing. A new beginning. Just like the priests of the Old Testament, we are called to be set apart for his purpose. Just like the circumcision being a sign of the covenant, our hearts are to be circumcised that we can be set apart for the Lord. Just like the lepers who were to go through a cleansing process even after being healed, so we're to be continually cleansed from sin. Just like the temple being dedicated by Solomon on the eighth day, we ourselves are called to be a temple where the Lord can dwell. Temples that have been cleansed and set apart and consecrated for him. It's interesting that we're not really told how those who heard these words in John 7 responded. It says that that some heard this and some were confused and frustrated by it, right? But we're not told what became of these people. There's a mixed response from the crowds. I believe that there are some there that received him, that received this word, that thought, yes, it is him, the Messiah. This is the one who has come into the world, and we want this water that he offers. But I think there were others who were content with keeping this tradition alone. They were happy to dwell in sukkahs, happy to pour out water, but they didn't want this living way that Jesus offered. What Jesus offered on the eighth day was more significant than the seven before. I pray that we would receive this word today that we would desire what the Lord offers us. Amen.